Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Coming up, you'll be hearing from the senior pastor of Providence Baptist Church in Beauregard, Alabama, a community that was hit hard by a devastating EF4 tornado recently, which left 23 people dead and residents in pain and shock. You'll be gaining a sense of how the church became involved in helping ahead. Then... Jonathan Pitts experienced the hurt and grief of losing his wife, Winter, unexpectedly last year. They had just finished writing a book on marriage together. You'll be hearing a portion of Jonathan's story as he shared with me about his loss and God's faithfulness. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, it's Petrina Mosley of Family Research Council who joined me to talk about developments concerning the life issue, including the Senate vote on the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. She also discussed matters related to state's action on the abortion issue. Portions of that conversation are ahead. Plus, Brett Golson decided to use technology to help him memorize scripture. He's developed the Bible memory app and website, and he shared with me about some aspects of this popular app. Finally, there was a debate recently involving an abortion doctor and a college professor about the issue of abortion. It involved a discussion of spiritual considerations It was sponsored by Summit Ministries, and Jeff Myers, who leads that organization, provided some perspective on the content of that debate. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Beauregard, Alabama, in Lee County, not too far from Auburn and Opelika, Alabama, and Columbus, Georgia, was devastated by a strong tornado on Sunday, March 3rd. 23 people lost their lives. The damage was very, very significant. In the midst of this loss and heartbreak, churches and Christian organizations seize the opportunities to reflect the love of Jesus. One of the churches in the area, Providence Baptist Church, was a shelter, a collection point for supplies, and staging area for the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team. From a recent report, this is Senior Pastor Rusty Sowell. We actually got word the the volunteer fire chief is in our church, and he alerted me at the conclusion of our morning service, uh, second service, that some major weather was on the way. At that point, we engaged our storm response team and opened up the basement of our sanctuary. Um, as that progressed along early afternoon, there was between 80 and 100 people that uh, gathered in that, uh, the only storm shelter in our community. Um, it came in quick. It was very uh, devastating. Um, we we're just now getting people able to get back into what we describe as ground zero. We've been taking hot meals. Uh, we've become a, a, a gathering place for media. Obviously, they're, they want to get involved. They're helping out tremendously. They've been very kind. Different organizations, Samaritan's Purse, uh, Billy Graham, the Resource Center is coming in, the Rapid Response Team, uh, different uh, food trucks, uh, all kind of folk coming together, bringing supplies. We've become a distribution center. Uh, our building accommodates um uh, we've got plenty of water, by the way, and, we, and we're at capacity for clothes. And we're posting on our website uh, the different needs that are, as we see them, uh, coming before us. But uh, we have about nine uh, distribution points, and we're taking supplies out. They're coming in, and we're getting it as close to the people who have the need as we possibly can. So in a nutshell, uh, while we, Providence, uh, did not have victims' fatalities within our fellowship. Uh, children of that were in the, our teachers' classes, neighbors, 
relatives and things like that. Uh, it all hit close to home. Uh, we want to be the hands and the feet, but right now we're we're basically trying to be the heart of God, mm. uh, which is to love these folk and to encourage them. And us, all of us, we're all rattled by this. No doubt. And, of course, you're a pastor in the community. I know that some of our initial correspondents, you were just sharing that that you've been ministering to families. And actually, there has been a or there was a, a long process of really identifying those who were lost. Of course, there's been the search and rescue effort that has taken place. Talk about just the impact on the the community and these families that have faced, some of them facing loss, others facing uncertainty of whether or not their family members had survived. Yeah. Well, you know, all of us, I've, I've been here 35 years, and uh, you know, our community has experienced trauma, tragedy, but never at this magnitude. So it, it really is. Um, and, and not to take away from by my use of examples here, it, it really is people walking around shell shock, and uh, and we're just trying to come alongside of them and uh, and listen and and to be uh, an encouragement to them, provide the basic needs, make sure they've got housing, food. We've got medical uh, Piedmont uh, hospitals over here from Columbus, and we, we just got I think we've got everything covered from the spiritual side to the physical needs at this point. And we're, our focus right here at Providence, with everything that's coming in, is just to make sure it gets to where the people need it, not only from a physical standpoint, but but also certainly from that spiritual dynamic with his faith. And that's what I've seen, a tremendous outpouring of love, not simply compassion, you know, patting, tapping somebody on the shoulder and saying, I'm thinking about you, but, but empathy. What I'm seeing, people from up north, Florida, Texas, Louisiana, the Carolinas, who went through tragedies like this, who experienced it themselves, they're coming here because they want to give back for what they have received. And that is a wonderful picture of the love of God. The Samaritan's First and Billy Graham response team, and with our clergy, all of our clergy in our area have come to, to, be, a, to be a help through this. Uh, our hospital, the chaplains, East Alabama Medical Center, the Alabama Baptist Disaster Relief, you know, they, their chaplains are here. That, that, that spiritual dynamic is being, you know, ministered to with regards to the people and the needs. I'm standing here looking at those crosses now and people slowing down as they go by and, and people who've been coming and kneeling and thinking and reflecting and, you know, literally, uh, you know, experiencing uh, a holy moment in that sense. So it's, uh, from that standpoint, that spiritual dynamic, you know, the Billy Graham Rapid Response Team, Samaritan's Purse, Alabama Baptist Disaster Relief, uh, local clergy, chaplains from the hospital, it has been a phenomenal outpouring of, uh, of compassion and love. Rusty Sowell here on The Intersection. To learn more how you can help, you can visit the church's website. It's ProvidenceAlive.com. Next on this edition of The Intersection, it's Jonathan Pitts, Executive Pastor of Church of the City in Nashville. In our recent conversation, he talked about the loss of his wife, Winter, unexpectedly in 2018, and discussed material related to the book they had written together prior to her death, entitled Emptied, Experiencing the Fullness of a Poured-Out Marriage. Here now is Jonathan Pitts. On July 6th, we sold our house in Dallas. On July 9th, we bought our house in Franklin. On July 10th, we moved into our house in Franklin. We spent four nights in that house. We left for a week of vacation to Iowa, where my family is from, then we went to back to Dallas for a week for me to finish up really my last week uh, at the Urban Alternative as an employee. 
And for winter, really, she was finishing up a last, her last book. She was writing a book called um, I Am Yours, a prayer book for girls, which uh, will actually come out in September. And that day, the 24th, was a Tuesday, a regular Tuesday in some ways, in the sense that I was at my office in the Urban Alternative. And the last thing I did before leaving my office was sign off on the final edited manuscript of a book called Emptied, Experiencing the Fullness of a Poured Out Marriage, which was the marriage book that Winter and I had been working on together, um, a book that we didn't feel necessarily qualified to write in the sense that we weren't uh, experts in marriage, but our publisher would tell us, hey, we want a book about um, uh, your journey, just sharing your story and what you've learned, and we want it not to be a how-to, but to be a, a really a join us in the journey. So we wrote that book. Uh, we felt really good about what we had written uh, very authentically, um, uh, our hurts, our pains, some of our mistakes, some of our joys, our victories, and we documented that. We actually made it 15 years on June 27th, 2018. So um, on July 24th, when we turned that book in, we were at uh, 15 years and 27 days. And um, essentially, um, we turned that book in, and um, I would go home from my office at the Urban Alternative with a bit of a I don't know, just uh, nervous energy about this future we were moving into and thinking about that every day as I was finishing up that last week. And I'd get home, my girls were having a normal meal, uh, or I was having a normal meal with my girls. My wife was taking a little bit of a nap, which she would normally do on summer days when she spent all day long with my girls. And um, as it would turn out, uh, she would, uh, as peacefully and gently as she operated in this world, she was a peaceful and gentle girl. Um, as peacefully and gently as she would live in it, she actually exited. As she was taking a nap, she would experience a heart failure, and um, her lungs would stop, and she would gently enter into the kingdom of God um, in heaven. And uh, it was a super hard day for me. Uh, one of the things I like to think about, it was a kind of a traumatic experience for my girls and I, as we were the home. Uh, my three youngest girls and I were there experiencing that. But the difference between what she was experiencing and what we were experiencing was night and day. And God has redeemed... Um, a lot already. I mean, I'm still trusting him to redeem a bunch more, um, but he's been healing our hearts. And uh, the day that she passed away um, will be forever sealed in my, in my memory as a day where God was shepherding and leading my heart and where he was giving me the opportunity to shepherd and lead my girls. And his Holy Spirit has been present and real, and I've never trusted him more than I do now. And uh, so it's been incredibly difficult. The last Seven going on eight months has been seven and eight months without um, my bride, my best friend, a woman that um, we grew in friendship and relationship together, the woman that's the mother of my four girls, my wife of 15 years, and um, ultimately a woman that I would do a lot of ministry with over these last seven or eight years, uh, public ministry. And uh, one of the great joys I have is continuing on her legacy and her ministry, which is actually growing in her passing, which I'm really grateful for. You know, one of the things that we've learned in marriage, Winter and I were not perfect in marriage, but we were very intentional. And one of the things that we learned is that there is joy on the other side of service. There is joy on the other side of pain. There is joy on the other side of giving up what you want in order to meet the needs of someone else, your children, your spouse, any relationship really, but uh, in the marriage relationship more than any other. And so that scripture, Philipp, uh, Philippians 2, uh, would really become the backbone of the book, and it would kind of look at um, our process of being emptied of, you know, I look at our marriage in, in, in three seasons, the first five years, the second five years, and the last five years. And the first five years were really us learning that we were very different, that we came into our marriage with sin patterns and expectations and a lot of unhealth that we didn't think at the time, we didn't realize. And so it was unpacking some of those things and beginning to wrestle with those things. The next five years was a commitment to um, not necessarily being perfect, but being intentional in our marriage and in terms of forgiveness, in terms of um, 
um, giving each other the benefit of the doubt in terms of doing everything that it looks like to empty ourselves of those things that would puff us up and, and cause us to think about me more than that we think about we. And then those last five years, one of the beautiful things for me and the reason I can sit in my counselor's office and not have any regret for a job undone is because those last five years, Winter and I reaped the benefits of what it looked like to invest in the first 10. And so we began to experience friendship and intimacy at a whole new level. Um, we began to uh, do ministry together. Our ministry was really birthed out of our, us parenting our girls. And Winter began that journey a little bit before then with For Girls Like You. But we began working together and writing together. And God would just give us a joy um, that really we didn't necessarily not experience joy in the first 10 years, but those last five years were incredible and beautiful. Jonathan Pitts here on The Intersection. Winter had launched a ministry called Four Girls Like You. You can find out more by going to 4FORGirlsLikeYou.com. This is The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House. The homepage can be found at meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. You can find the Media Center there through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection. Plus, you can access the current and or previous editions of The Intersection podcast through that website, and you can subscribe to The Intersection through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page, and there is a link to video content. You can find out more about accessing full conversations through a variety of apps, including the Faith Radio app. Again, go to meetinghouseonline.info or visit faithradio.org and go to the programming section. Patrina Mosley is Director of Life, Culture, and Women's Advocacy for Family Research Council. She discussed developments regarding the abortion issue, including activity in state legislatures and in Washington, where lawmakers blocked debate on the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. From that recent Meeting House conversation, this is Petrina Mosley. Republicans uh, or Democrats or independents are people who haven't even been politically involved up until now. When they hear about infanticide, killing a child, uh, you know, once it's made, once it's made it out of the womb, people are waking up and saying, "I don't see any benefit to that. Like that's immoral." I think it's good. Number one, that people are waking up to this, um, and number two, the reason being uh, of you know why would Democrats see that this is okay? Um, is a lot of people don't want to say that this is not about women's rights. They tout that abortion is about women's rights, but it's not. I mean, for those of you who have, you know, known Margaret Sanger and the history of Planned Parenthood and how abortion was brought about here and in Europe, it's, a, it's an elitist agenda. And at the, the people who are at the top, the legislators who are at the top, these are not ignorant people. They're not idiots. They're very smart people. They know what's going on, but they only whisper it. And they know that they don't want to pay for another child who they think should not have been born to a poor person anyway. Because we know abortion, the abortion industry targets the poor and minority community. Uh, just in New York, you have more black babies that were aborted than born alive. And that's been the trend now for the last couple of years. Um, this is an, an elitist mindset. So you don't even have to be, you know, quote unquote racist to, to see that this is an agenda that's against minorities. This is an agenda that's against uh, those who are economically poor. Um, and that's what it really is at, at the end of the day, but no one will really say that. And they push out women's rights, and they 
make these extreme abortion laws under the guise of reproductive health. They do want to control your reproductive health. That's exactly what they want to do. But they will mark it as if this is a favor to you. And for a mother to kill her own child is never a favor to herself. Endorsing that is is never um, an agenda that's meant for your good. So I think this is a, a, a warning sign to people, whether they deem themselves left or right, that we have to have a conscience on this. You know, um, we did a press conference with some Capitol Hill members who have been pushing the Born Alive uh, Abortion Survivors Protection Act. And I said to them, you know, for my Democratic friends who are across the aisle, you voting for this is not going to make you a Republican. This is not going to make you a conservative. You're not coming over to the dark side if you believe that a child should not be murdered after it's been born. This is just a right, conscionable thing to do. This is clearly about a baby who has now become the patient. It's not about abortion. This is about someone who's become the patient who deserves protection. And um, I really hope American people take this issue to the polls with them 2020. Some very insightful thoughts that you were sharing earlier, Petrina, as far as the potential motivation for people that are, are voting for instance, not to protect the lives of children who have survived an abortion attempt. So with this Born Alive Protection Act, the Senate taking it up, there was a procedural vote that took place. This was not the final vote. It was just basically a vote to open up debate on the bill. Nevertheless, you had 44 senators that said, we don't even want to talk about this. We don't even want to bring it to the floor for a debate. Comment on that, if you would, please. It is very sad. And this, like you said, it was just a vote to bring it for debate. This was this was not a vote to make legislation into law, and they couldn't even do that. Um, it's very concerning. And they... <sighs> I mean, for those of you, I mean, I may be repeating things that the audience may already know, but I think it's helpful to point these things out. Um, the Democratic Party, they receive millions of dollars in campaign funds from abortion, from the abortion industry, such as Planned Parenthood. So it's literally a scratch my back, you know, you scratch my back, I scratch your back scenario. And they will, will stand with those who are financially contributing to them, and in return, support their agenda and stand against anything that would be of detriment to them. Um, abortion is a cash flow of Planned Parenthood and other abortion entities. So um, if you cut off their cash flow, then that means you're cutting off their campaign funds. And that means they have less to work with to keep them in power. Um, it is a money game and it is a power game. And unfortunately, when those two things are at play, it's it's hard to have a moral compass. Petrina Mosley here on The Intersection. The Family Research Council website is frc.org. She also discussed in our conversation the End Birthday Abortion campaign. You can learn more at endbirthdayabortion.com. Well, Brett Golson is the developer of the Bible Memory app and the website biblememory.com. In our conversation, he discussed the background of the app, some of the tools available in it, and the process of scripture memorization that the app uses. 
From that conversation, this is Brett Golson. That church uh, gathering, it really marked me and, and let me know I needed to be involved in this. So yeah. I just kind of, the first thing I, I did was just went home and started reading verses over and over again in the Bible. And that was, um, it was good, but it was a little bit discouraging. The um, the pace at which you could actually memorize it was very slow. And so a few things I found along the way that were helpful. One was typing verses. So I would just get on my computer and just type them repetitively. And there was something about uh, the physical activity associated with memorizing just the act of typing helped ingrain those verses a lot faster in my mind. And then another thing that was helpful was taking those and printing the verses out onto these blank business cards that I could then have with me wherever I was. So that was great to um, have a way to, to review verses that I'm working on in my downtime. But it did have its drawbacks because, you know, you, you might just feel tempted to give those cards away to someone when it's a verse that you feel like speaks to where they are in life. And then the worst is when I'd leave them in my pockets and just run the, the cards through the washing machine. Oh, so boy. Yeah. definitely some drawbacks there. So those, uh, those methods actually uh, were built into the very first uh, version of the, of the Bible memory app in that you would uh, type to memorize and you could print out your own cards. You can still do that at BibleMemory.com now um, if you want to do that. But the, um, the main benefits are, you know, we, we give you a, a way to have a library of verses you're working on and then an easy three-step process to memorize those through typing them. You mentioned three steps that people can use to actually incorporate Bible memorization. So what have you found to be some, some steps or some tools that can be helpful to people? Absolutely. So, so like you said, in the Bible memory app, we do have a three-step process, which makes it um, just a lot less difficult to get the verse in your head. So here's how that, that works. You would start by um, by typing the verse. And if you're doing this on your phone in the Bible memory app, you would just type the first letter of each word to make it, um, you know, it's not tedious at all. And so you first, you just type the first letter of each word while looking. And then step two, we hide every other word so that it kind of makes you engage your memory but it's still not too hard. So it only takes about a minute to, to get that for a verse. And then the third step, it hides everything. And so within two or three minutes, you've got a verse memorized, and then the app will remind you when you need to review that so that you keep it memorized. So how does one decide what verses to start with or, or what verses to really incorporate into someone's, uh, uh, as you might say, repertoire of verses that are memorized? Yeah, I always recommend uh, Psalm number one as a, a great starting place. Yeah. It's only six, you know, six verses, so about six uh, sentences long, roughly, and it um, and, and the content there. Psalm one talks all about the benefits of walking with the Lord and memorizing and meditating on Scripture, and it, it talks about how that leads to a, a blessed and prosperous life. So it's a great starting place. You can right away say, "Hey, I've memorized a, a chapter from the Bible uh, by just memorizing six verses." So I think it really builds confidence and a desire to, to memorize more. Well, we know there are benefits of memorizing Scripture, contributing to our spiritual growth. There are also, as I understand it, there are a number of, as you might say, mental health benefits, especially as people grow older. So, so talk about how the memorization of Scripture can actually have a positive impact on our minds. 
Sure. Yeah. Mem memorization, it, it really trains and challenges your brain to remember more. So you can kind of think of it as, you know, aerobics for your brain. So you're giving it more strength, new capacity to retain more information. And uh, we've gotten a lot of feedback from many of the users of our app who, who found it and they, they found the Bible memory app as they're getting older. And so they come in with zero confidence thinking, you know, I'm never going to be able to memorize anything, but they quickly find out it's a lot easier than they thought. And then it actually improves their health. So, you know, these older individuals become some of the biggest proponents of Bible memorization as they actually get in and do it. Brett Golson here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website BibleMemory.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection podcast, the president of Summit Ministries, Jeff Myers, provided for our audience recently a review of a debate at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington featuring UNCW professor Mike Adams and an abortionist named Willie Parker. Dr. Myers also discussed the summer sessions of Summit Ministries for young adults. Here now from that conversation is Jeff Myers. You know, Dr. Mike Adams is not only a criminology professor at UNC Wilmington, but he's also a very strong pro-life activist. He often takes the opportunity to speak at pro-life banquets, and it's a cause very close to his heart. He had heard about this, this uh, man, Dr. Willie Parker, the an abortionist who claimed to be Christian, not only claimed to be a Christian, he compared himself to Jesus and to Martin Luther King Jr. And in the debate very clearly said that he sees himself as a good Samaritan by providing abortions. When Dr. Mike Adams heard about him, he thought this man needs to be, you know, we need to get him up in front and, and debate him and hear his viewpoint and have the opportunity to uh, he, uh, to respond to the arguments that he makes. So Dr. Adams was able to, along with this wonderful campus group that's at UNCW and lots of other schools called Ratio Christi, uh, were able to pull, pull some of these things together. And then they, uh, they contacted us and said, could you help us live stream this and help it gain some uh, national traction. And, and we, of course, jumped at the opportunity. Dr. Mike Adams is one of our favorite summit instructors here. And Rossio Christie is one of our favorite campus groups. So it just seemed like a good opportunity. So here you have this abortion doctor. He no doubt knows the lay of the land. He's going into a an environment to debate a Christian professor in a an event that is sponsored by a Christian campus organization, Rossio Christie. And Summit Ministries. So how is it that Dr. Adams and the sponsors were able to to get Dr. Parker to become part of this? Well, I think the it's a good question. I'm sure Dr. Parker is wondering that because he he lost so badly in the debate. It probably occurred to him that this was not a good idea, but it was too late. He was already uh, you know well into it. But the I think he decided to come because he believes that abortion is something about which honest Christians can disagree and uh, that he thinks what he's doing is moral and good and righteous. And, and he in, wanted to have the opportunity to tell a national audience that. And of course, Dr. Adams wanted to have the opportunity to bring moral clarity to the issue of abortion. And 
even out or expose this guy for things he was doing that are that are so outrageous, not just providing abortions, but saying he's doing it in the name of Jesus. So what were some of his comments? What was his perspective on the morality of this act, which so many Christians view as being an immoral act? Well, he he granted right off the bat. I should probably give you Dr. Adams' opening uh, um, point because they kind of create the context for this. Dr. Adams gave a very straightforward argument, point number one, that it is wrong to kill an innocent human being. Point number two, unborn children are innocent human beings. And therefore, the conclusion, it is wrong to kill an unborn child. So that was the context, and Dr. Adams supported that. And then Dr. Parker, when he rose to give his opening remarks, granted that abortion is the killing of a human being. That wasn't even in dispute in his mind. In his mind, it was a question of whether this unborn human has the rights of personhood, whether it's the kind of life, we know it's a human being, but whether it's the kind of human life that is worthy of protection under the law. What do you think was the main takeaway of this debate event? Well, I think the main takeaway, and I know you're going to put a link there so people can find the debate and watch it for themselves, is that Dr. Adams, with the pro-life position, argued with a great deal of moral clarity. Dr. Parker's remarks were wandering and uh, kind of aimless and seemingly confused, to the point where one Christian leader uh, tweeted, I think you should give a speaking feedback because he was so unprepared. I think that's one way to see it. I think another way to think of it is his position benefits from moral confusion, Bob. So it's you know he would win if people came away more confused. And that's really what we need right now is moral clarity yes. in a difficult time, not additional moral confusion. Jeff Myers here on The Intersection. The Summit website is summit.org. You can actually view the debate through that website. There's a link from faithradio.org and meetinghouseonline.info. We're nearing the conclusion of this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. You can get connected to content through the Media Center, through which you can listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on the Intersection Podcast. You can listen to or download the current episode as well as previous editions of The Intersection. You can subscribe to it through iTunes. In fact, you can get connected to content from the Meeting House program through the Faith Radio app as well as a number of other apps. Learn about them when you go to faithradio.org or meetinghouseonline.info. There are links to two blogs. One is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. The other is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. You can follow me on Twitter at Access the Meeting House Facebook page, and there is a link to video content, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this week's edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.